0: If they say clothes make the person, can special clothes make the first responder? The Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity, IARPA, wants to find out. It's launched a program to create trousers and other garments that look ordinary but can record audio, video, and location data. It's called Smart Electrically Powered and Networked Textile Systems. Yep, smarty pants. We wondered, too, here in studio to explain, IARPA Program Manager Dawson Cagle. Mr. Cagle, good to have you in. Thanks so much for having me. And, well, what the heck are you trying to do here?
1: <laughs> Why <don't you> tell <laughs> well, us? other than make a memorable name, I, I we are actually trying to develop the next generation of the internet of things. We are moving electronics from your ordinary household items into your clothes, hopefully. That has been a challenge up until now because frankly, clothes are a difficult environment for electronics. Uh, Electronics don't want to stretch, bend. They certainly don't really like being washed. So we're trying to solve those problems. All right. Because you think of electronics as wires interconnecting
0: physical devices like chips, transistors, Mm -hmm. resistors, and so forth. Those keep shrinking. You can get a million transistors in your fingernail, but it's still a stiff substrate ultimately.
1: It's still a, a rigid what we've called a puck. So the the problem is oftentimes how do you get from that rigid puck to the wire? It's the interconnect. And, you know, when you stretch to reach for something or you bend over to pick something up, that's stress on your clothes. And that interconnect can can bear the brunt of it. So trying to do that while you're washing your clothes or while you're wearing them is a real challenge. We're trying to figure out how this can work. And, I mean, I think that the main application for it is probably for the medical sector as well as for sports performance. Right. I was going to
0: ask, what are the applications of this type yeah. of thing, especially in IARPA's context, national security, intelligence gathering? And I think your press release talked about first
1: responders. Sure. Yes, indeed. Years back, I was a weapons inspector at the United Nations. When you are in these um, environments, usually a factory or uh, some kind of a military base, very often, if you're carrying around electronics, it's it can impede your movement in an area. You don't want to bang your head or touch a corner or, or uh, you know, run into something that while you're not paying attention. So it's super helpful to be able to have any kind of recording equipment that you would want physically part of your body instead of carrying it around so you don't have a free hand. That goes for law enforcement as well. And certainly in high, other high-stress environments, certainly our colleagues in the military also have that need.
0: Now, when you think of electronics in the chain of events leading to, say, an audio or video recording, you can imagine a flexible substrate for the supporting electronics. They make rubber circuit boards now, and there they are do. fabric bendable boards have been around for a while. But when you think of the input device, a microphone or a camera – The camera has to have a lens, and a lens is a hard, typically, thing that bends light made of glass. That seems
1: hard to incorporate. Let me tell you, it is. We do have some really fascinating shots on goal for that, though. We have uh, some colleagues both at MIT and at the University of Michigan, which have already built and published their work on stretchable, bendable microphones in threads. That has been done. There are all kinds of applications for us, but I also imagine that it could be used for listening to your heartbeat. Yes, that is difficult. It turns out that just as you can imagine when fabric goes over the top of your microphone and you hear that brushing sound, it's equally difficult if it's actually physically built into your clothes. So there's extra work that you have to do to make it quiet.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of signal processing and maybe some, let's say it, artificial intelligence that has to be here.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I I would imagine that's the case and we have a lot of experts working on audio processing in the effort. Likewise, one of the things that has been a surprise for me is if you have many small cameras, when when I say small I mean less than like the width of two pieces, two fishing lines. If you have many of them, just like the eyelets on a fly, on the on the eye of a fly, sure. You can actually have those simple cameras be threaded together into a computer and stitch together an image in with shocking resolution.
0: Wow. We're speaking with Dawson Cagle. He's a program manager at IARPA, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. How are you going about getting these samples, getting the – is this a grant program you're running?
1: Tell us about the program aspects of Smarty Pants. <laughs> Smarty Pants is a research program out of my – out of IARPA. We put out a solicitation for researchers to, to answer the, our, our needs last year. We started in July of this year. We've hired five different groups. They have up to 10 team members inside those groups and they're they're actually working to satisfy the numeric metrics that we have in the program so for example, for audio, it's a sixty minute conversation with at at sixty decibels so they and then I guess within one meter distance so we we set the exact parameters that are needed in order to meet our metrics. The fun thing is that in addition to gathering that data, we also ask for the the same piece of electronics to meet certain fabric testing requirements. We want to make sure that everybody gets treated equally. So we have worked with our friends in the fabric and textile industry to actually build machines and to test on certain standards that, what is it, the American Association of Textile Colorists has for building fabrics. I never thought I would learn this stuff. I also didn't think I would learn so much about about textile design and garment design and even fashion design. Sure. We actually have a wedding dress designer under contract. Wow,
0: yeah. Well, these things do evolve over time. And I suppose. I mean look how uncomfortable polyester was forty years ago and now it's almost preferred you know over oh my some goodness. of the natural fabrics. Yeah. I guess my question is why fundamentally? I mean, if you want someone to be able to gather data, you can easily do that now with goggles you know, in a Bluetooth connection to something that's really, for practical purposes, highly wearable, or, you know, people for looking at medical sensing, there are Fitbit types of devices, wrist-worn, ring-worn on your finger and whatever, what will this advance, do you think?
1: Well, I think that uh, certainly what you say is very true. We can already record audio and video on our phones. And this is actually what a lot of the industry is thinking when they have looked at this in the past. That's actually the reason why it hasn't gone any further is because so far there's been no sort of killer app for how you, how you actually receive this information or record information. Everybody can already do that on their phones. So what we're hoping is that there will be new applications found. Certainly, I mean, my, my own dad is a type 1 diabetic. I was considering, you know, his compliance with checking his blood sugar. If he has to carry around his glucometer all the time, he's less likely to actually do the measurement. There are efforts at putting that into the puck of, uh, of a watch mm-hmm. or of a phone. But if you were simply wearing the device, it was something that you put on every day, then – Patient compliance gets much, much better. So I'm hoping that that is actually one of the the big applications. From my conversations with folks in the medical community, they certainly sound very interested.
0: But with respect to recording externally, say, like the shirt itself is a sensor that can hear and see, then storage would also be incorporated. Storage would be incorporated, yes. What about the privacy and just creepiness aspect of, <laughs> your shirt is recording me or your hat? You're not doing hats. You're doing – No hats. No hats. It's, it's something that is worn organically Absolutely. from head to toe. Something – Neck to toe.
1: We generally say something that's touching the skin. So, so if someone so. takes off
0: their shoe while they're talking to you, you might get the idea. <laughs> that's a smart sock.
1: Yes, smart socks. That's in play. I would say, you know, we we at IARPA pay a great deal of attention to civil liberties, personal privacy, and we've baked that into the program. We're not actually doing any testing on people. And uh, our effort is really not so much what we're recording as how. So the how part of the question is the part that hasn't been answered. I actually think that the censor, is the least of my worries. The biggest part of my worries are actually the interconnects, the battery. Mm-hmm. How do you make a washy, stretchy battery?
0: And that's where the buttons come in. <laughs> right.
1: And the buttons, so interestingly, the buttons and the ha- that's called haptics, is, sure. is actually one of the more interesting parts. If you look at how weave is done on a garment, there's two directions that the threads go. One right. is called the warp. That's the twisty part and the other is called the weft. Right. And the warp and weft –
0: That's how a loom works.
1: That's exactly right. There are researchers in our teams that have worked to build different kinds of wires that can be put in the warp and the weft that you press together to form a switch. So you could actually have a fabric switch. So, I mean, this this the innovation is amazing, watching how the different parts that you would assume go into a rigid puck and how you put that into fabric. And what is your timeline on getting, say, a prototype? Well, I get prototypes in three stages on the program. The first one is in just a year and a half. The teams need to put all of the pieces together and to put them on some kind of a flexible swatch Mm -hmm. A fabric or something similar. And then one year later, I get my first garments. And then third is a garment that you can actually wear around and wash. All of that is like three and a half years.
0: One of these days we'll say, you want to have lunch? Well, I'll have my shirt call your socks and we can get together and decide when we get together. I love that. Dawson Cagle is a program manager at IARPA, the Intelligence Advanced Project's research activity. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Put the Federal Drive in your smarty pants pockets. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, Join Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members, raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity
2: and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome and thank you for being here.
3: Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure, mine.
2: You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Aniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How has your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted? the way you view your role now as the union's leader?
3: The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility, both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a liberal wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both, uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting
2: those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to Feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all?
3: Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of ALG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done.
2: As CEO at at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have, we rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style?
3: You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders gets me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chance that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast division. The they are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative, it's an energy that I cannot explain.
2: I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, de- de- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader.
3: You know, understanding that I was born in the deep south. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God and that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible and with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right, treat people with respect, right? do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed. Uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't
2: have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it's it's easy. Yes. Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. What's
2: one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your
3: career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at, an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it, bad enough. If you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the, and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough.
2: And one question that's always kind of interesting at at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, Mm -hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today?
3: It was my grandmother. You know, with the understanding that when, when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now.